Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Welcome to the brave new world of post-election 44. <laughs> the brave new world of post-election 44 looks an awful lot like the election, uh, like like the parliament before election 44. <laughs> Funny that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, all sound and fury signifying nothing during that campaign, it seemed. And if people wondering why we're talking about this now, we've been away for a couple of weeks. Um, all that well, I think that, I'm ready. I think I'm ready to talk about it now because you know it's been, you know, it, it's been, it, it, even though you know the deck chairs just kind of, you know, in fairness, there, there are like 50 new members of parliament, so there are some changes, and there's you know seats out west, uh, you know, in Alberta, that uh, you know th there were some changes in there, although the you know the uh, you know I'm going to say too, I'm going to toot my own horn here, uh, even though you you. You, you put me in the corner and asked me to do a bold prediction. I was pretty close to the uh, to the actual numbers as it came out. I said uh, my bold prediction was the Liberals be down two seats. That's that's where I was wrong. Um, you know, the Liberals are actually, you know, up up a seat or two. Um, and I said the Green leader would lose her seat. But wow, was I right about that one? Yeah. Um Oh, only, and, you know, and, and all of the flame out of enemy Paul, but, you know, coming in fourth, I mean, she got, uh, I, I think she got her deposit back, but only, only barely. Um, and uh, in the, the BQ up to uh, two and the NDP up to, so, you know, I, NDP was up one. So I missed it by one. And uh, you know, I say the liberals did a little bit better than I thought. Yeah. It's, I mean, when we first started talking, when the writ was first dropped, my prediction was liberals would lose a few seats the NDP would gain a few seats, the Conservatives would stay where they were. And I should have stuck with that, but I admit <laughs> I got spooked. You know, the, the polling companies and the media that wanted to create a horse race because they needed drama, because otherwise our elections are boring. Um, it, it got to me. And uh, there was a point in time when I was concerned that there would be a Conservative minority government, even though my wife was saying, no, it's not really possible. Look at the guaranteed seats pretty well, you know, where they're coming from. I can't see the conservatives gaining enough seats because yeah, they're pretty much at their maximum at this point in time. Um, they've reached their peak. They've reached their ceiling. And unless they, you know, substantially change what they're offering and who they're offering, yeah. they are where they are. So my wife was, was, was confident the whole time and she's, she's usually right. And I should always listen to her. Wife. Yeah, yeah, always. But, you know, we were still closer than most of the pollsters. There was only a couple of them. I think uh, ACOS uh, was, uh, was uh, there were two that uh, that got it pretty close. Um, and we talked in the last time we did our podcast about just the tough, the tough uh, job that pollsters have right now, because, you know, people are so unpredictable and, you know, and, and hard to reach. And it's hard to get representative samples anymore because people aren't tethered to their phone at home. So you really don't know a lot about them demographically. You know, they used to know your phone number. Yet they'd know by your uh, by your phone number what your air, uh, your um, postal code was. So they got a sense of what your income was, and you know the rough ethnic uh, makeup of of your your street and all that kind of stuff. With cell phones, I have no idea anymore. Uh, you know where people are, unless you're going to uh, you know self-identify as something. So it's really really tough for pollsters to do that. But having said that, you and I were closer than about 80 percent of the pollsters as it turns out yeah it, i should have stuck to my guns i as i said the, our last podcast i had some feeling that there was some x factor that wasn't being accounted for it turns out i was wrong there was no x factor the government looks very much the same people canadians are pretty much satisfied with the government the way that it is I, well, one thing that interests me was people saying that the election turnout means canadians are saying that they want the parties to work together. And my thought is, <laughs> that's not what they're saying at all. The no, Canadians, no. <clears throat> they voted for their own, you know, for the parties they voted for, hoping that their fortunes would be strong. They didn't, you know, there weren't liberal voters who said, I'm going to vote NDP to try to, to try to make sure that the government works together. There weren't conservative voters that said, I'll vote NDP to, to make sure that the parties balance out and have to work together. That's an absurd notion. Now it's possible Canadians do want the, the parties to work together and likely do, but the outcome did not show that. It, it, people voted for the party that they wanted to see gain power. There was no, yeah. uh, there was no calculation made as to, well, let's only vote this many in from the Liberals and this many from the Conservatives and this many NDP, and that way they'll be forced to work together because that's what we want. 
that that never happens that there's there's no conversation like that that goes on there's no mental processes or coming together in in voting that 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 you know they puts come that up with kind that, of thought together yeah it's no and it's it's the same as, as strategic voting i mean every year you know every election year someone says you know strategic voting and they, they may publish a list of writings that are close and you know if the liberals just vote with the ndp on this one we can beat the conservative and if the if the ndp votes with the liberals on this one you know they can keep the conservative out always seems to be able to keep the conservative out but i don't believe in strategic voting i you know just as a thing it's like it's like a unicorn because anyone who is politically aware enough to, to do that kind of research and analysis is probably politically engaged, which means they're probably wedded to a party. Um, they're not going to vote against their own party, um, even for strategic purposes, because they want other people to do it. Absolutely. It's all about getting someone else to do the voting for you. It's, it's, like, uh, it's like what Patton said. It's, a, it's not about dying for your country. It's making some other poor son of a bitch die for his country. Um, and strategic voting is exactly the same way. And I've never seen it as any kind of a force in, in Canadian politics at election time. But it is, again, one of those great myths that everyone goes on about, about, you know, if we can just get together. You know, the other one is, you know, the Liberals and the NDP should somehow join. And it's like, they're so ideologically different um, in, in so many ways uh, that there's, there's just no way those two parties could ever merge. Um, you know, they have very different histories, different ideologies, different cultures. And it, it just it, it just isn't going to happen. You know, the left is not going to unite. I mean, the right unites every once in a while, because, you know, as I said, you know, previously, someone, you know, someone, uh, a quote I really love is that the uh, the, uh, the 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 right looks for allies and the left always looks for traitors. Um, the right is really good at making deals with each other because at the end of the day, it's about power. Um, you know, you know, the uh, Maxine Bernier's party had a good showing and now the conservative policy going forward for the next election is how do we get those people back in our tent it's not about punishing them it's not about outing them it's about and you know even during the campaign o'toole hardly had anything to say about the uh, the people's party because he knew that he'd be alienating people who might be voting for for him this election or the next election um but um it it's they, they are looking at bringing those people back into the conservative fold, which is which is is how they they cobble together enough people to to, uh, to you know to to eventually get a majority in some elections. Yeah, the, it, it's interesting. People were there were what I consider inflammatory articles about the showing of the PPC. You know, a lot of articles saying you know, the, the hard, the far right from the U.S. is infiltrating Canada. The white supremacists are gaining power. I think that that's not true. I think that uh, Bernier's showing was strictly to do with him being the only party that was anti-mask, um, and that was the only yeah. place anti-maskers could pack could park their vote, because yep. uh, O'Toole was not an anti anti-masker or anti-vaxer, and the only place people who were could go and vote was Bernier's party. They weren't drawn there by the xenophobia. They weren't drawn there by some notions of white supremacy. They were drawn there. Now, not to say that there aren't white supremacists involved in the anti-vax movement. There sure are. But the turnout for Bernier does not raise a red flag for me that we've all of a sudden got a growing alt-right uh, white supremacist problem in Canada. Um, it's amazing how much our media and too many Canadians want to mirror what's going on in the United States. It's like they see it, the U.S. as big brother and we want to walk around in their shoes. Like when a kid walks around in his dad's shoes, they, they so much want to emulate and feel like they're a part of what they see on, uh, on the news and in social trending in social media, they wanted to feel a part of it. The same way that the NDP was talking about voter suppression, when there was no voter suppression, the, to, to call it voter suppression and in any way liken it to what's going on in the United States is completely out of touch. Oh, yeah. it's, it, I mean, there was, yes, there were less polling places on campuses, but that decision was made by Elections Canada, which is an independent body. And then people say, sure, it's independent. They work for the government. No. They are an independent body, and they made that determination themselves. It was not a, a decision made 
to, to improve the fortunes of the Liberals. So the notion that Elections Canada, which is neutral, would be trying to suppress any particular vote is ludicrous. And just playing up on American headlines, as uh, Singh did, it, it did peter out after a while. Like the, it didn't gather the steam that I think he was hoping. But for a, a short period there, we were hearing about voter suppression, voter suppression, taking words from the glossary of American politics and trying to apply them to our politics. And anybody who knows anything about politics knows our politics and American politics are not the same animal. Yeah, and there we do try to you know try to import some of these these hot and sexy things that you, that, that leak over into Canadian news all the time because they make good they're they're great clickbait they make good headlines but at the end of the day there just isn't anything there before and as far as the, the People's Party is concerned I think like you said you know there certainly are some some xenophobes some anti-immigration some anti-Muslim bigots in there. Uh, and because it's, it is a big tent, uh, and they'll take pretty much anyone they can get. But the, uh, you know, the thing about the, I think the support of the people's party is that, uh, you know, they got zero seats, but, uh, you know, they, they did end up getting, um, um, 5% of the popular vote, uh, which, you know, is, is, is not, you know, unsubstantial in Canada, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's still, uh, you know, it, it's still, uh, it's still only 5% of the vote. It's about 8, 850,000 votes from, from coast to coast. But the people, I think, who are attracted to them, like you say, the anti-vaxxers, a lot of them are probably first-time voters, and some of them are probably not going to vote again voters. I mean, they, they sort of rose from their slumber over this one issue and found the one party that was anti-vax, anti-mask, pro-freedom. I can have my, uh, you know, as many people in my unlicensed uh, barbecue restaurant as, as I like uh, and uh, not suffer any consequences. There's, you know, those, those people, um, it's, uh, it's an interesting demographic, I think, you know, de definitely looking at the rallies and things. It's not, you know, it, it, it's, you know, it's not people you would typically consider to be on that side of things. There are a lot of middle-class soccer moms, you know, in, in the States, they call them the Karens. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're educated professional from good neighborhoods, send their kids to French school or alternative schools. They're, you know, they practice yoga and then, you know, they, they, they buy their, uh, their groceries at, uh, at the big carrot organic uh, grocery store, um, you know, because they, you know, they really are skeptics about, about medicine, about putting anything in your body. I mean, a lot of them are, you know, the Chris guy, you know, the health nuts, you know, the, the people who are lifting weights all the time. And, you know, my body is a nipple. I don't put anything impure in it. And vaccines are impure. And it's all about eating the, the we uh, paste and, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and, and having protein shakes all day long. And, you know, those people, you know, it, it, you know, you tend to think of the anti-vaxxers as being sort of, uh, you know, ignorant, you know, low information, low education, blue collar. And that's not the case. It's an awful lot of middle to upper middle class white uh, people who are, you know, the same ones who won't vaccinate their kids uh, in public school and go and get the exemptions for that. And I yeah. think a lot of those people end up in it ended up in the uh, the People's Party, and they're one issue voters. And when the issue is gone, you know, hopefully by the time the next election rolls around, we're not wearing masks, we're all vaccinated, or COVID's mutated into something a little more benign, and the issue goes away, and they may never vote again. Yeah, I think that you're you're dead on with that. That there's probably a lot of first time voters there, first time motivated, first time identifying with a party, identifying with it with a uh, an issue. And that motivated them to get out there. And yeah, they'll stay home next time if there's nothing that uh, resonates with their identity. Uh, you know, the, uh, there was talk after the election about the, oh, actually, before we go there, we should say that the PPC appears to have caused uh, some grief for the conservatives in some ridings. Yeah, they did. I mean, they, they, they certainly called out a lot of the conservative flip-flops. 
um, you know, whether it was the, uh, you know, their, their incredible backpedaling and then refus refusing to acknowledge they backpedaled on, on firearms um, and, uh, you know, and some of the other issues. I mean, they really were an effective critical opposition from the right, which, which really hurts the conservatives. And again, if you're a conservative, uh, you know, election operative, you're worried that, you know, not necessarily, you know, that you're going to bleed a lot of votes to the uh, to the People's Party, but you may have conservatives who stay home because they can't bring themselves to vote liberal. They're not going to vote PPC, and they're just going to stay home and they're just going to wait for the next election because they don't feel that uh, the Conservative Party, as you know, with with the flaws that are being uh, pointed out by the uh, critics on the right, that it's worth their vote. So you worry about your voter turnout being smaller because you've disappointed people and and your critics on the right are pointing out all the ways that you disappointed them yeah i wish i had my research in front of me but there were a few writings where the votes that where it was so close that votes taken uh by the ppc that would have gone to the conservative might have changed the the outcome of the seat count so yeah, if, they, if they had gone to conservative and, and you know, I, I, I kind of challenge that wisdom because everyone thinks, oh, well, that, that's the way they go. But a lot of the people who voted um, People's Party, oddly enough, on the vax issue, you know, went over from the left. They jumped right over the liberals and the conservatives and they came over from the NDP. Um, you know, there's, you know, I don't know if there's any numbers about this, but there's all kinds of anecdotal stuff where they're interviewing, man, you know, man in the street, and say, well, you know, I voted NDP the last few elections, but I'm voting People's Party this time, and you know, I shake my head, going like, how can you be that, you know, ideologically uh, gymnastic, the to be able to to bridge that gap? But again, it's a one issue sort of thing, so I'm not sure. Uh, I'm sure the conservatives look at a sizable amount of the people's party as being natural conservatives who they have to get back in the fold. But I think a lot of those people are either, like I said, apolitical, or they may have, you know, jumped from other parties because they were just, you know, other than the conservative, because you know, masking is the one issue that matters to them over and above tax reform or indigenous reconciliation or, uh, or, you know, taxing, taxing the mega rich. I mean, you're like, nope, don't care about any of those things. It's out the masks. And there's only one party that represents me. Yeah. One issue voters, which is, as you said, if that issue goes away, so do they. Uh, I suspect that, and we've heard this rumblings that the conservative party, there are those in the conservative party who feel that trying to, to, you know, moderate didn't work because, you know, one election, it didn't work, uh, means it didn't work. And they're going to attack harder right to try to bring in the Maxime Bernier voters, who, as you said, probably won't, won't vote or won't vote conservative, even if uh, the, the conservative party attacks right. And if the conservative party moves further right, they're going to just continue to be defeated because yeah. we are not a country that is in its that determines you know calls itself conservative america is a very conservative nation or a lot of people identify as being conservative on both sides of the uh, of the aisle uh there you've got conservative democrats as well as conservative republicans C canada views itself in a very different way we see ourselves as consensus builders and as you know the the, the fact that we've got our uh, mosaic instead of a melting pot we've got a different psychology underpinning what motivates us as citizens. So I, I don't think that there's enough, there are enough hard right votes in this country to bring the conservatives into power. They're going to be perpetually the opposition unless they find some kind of secret sauce to appeal. And, and their, their policies this time out were designed to appeal to, to blue-collared uh, Joe and Jane Q public. Um, yeah, they, they tried to position themselves as the party of the workers, which I, I'm still scratching my head about that. Well, I live long enough to see everything. <laughs> um, but they, you know, I thought that they ran an effective campaign in the sense of their messaging, other than the gun issue, their messaging was, was there was message discipline. And conservatives are much better with message discipline than uh, people, you know, in the progressive camp. Whereas you said yeah. it's it's a there's a loose, lot of bozo moments. <laughs> it's a it's a loose conglomeration of people who come together briefly 
with a common interest, but their individual interests are so opposed to each other that many of them are ideological enemies as well. So, and they, they can't see the forest for the trees. Um, what I was going to say earlier is there was talk, you know, whenever a party loses, there's talk of will there be a leadership review? It appears, as you were saying to me just before we recorded, that Aaron O'Toole has survived the immediate uh, guillotine and will continue to be the, the leader for the conservatives, um, yeah, which I think well, is, a smart, is a smart move. Well, you know, he, he came out of the first caucus meeting uh, and said sort of cryptically that he had the support of most of his colleagues. Um, and, you know, that word most just kind of hangs there. I mean, that's 50% plus one. But, but the uh, Conservative Caucus has, has now adopted the Reform Act um, rules, which gives the Conservative Caucus a lot more power. Now, there won't be a formal leadership review, apparently, uh, under the Conservative Party Constitution until 2023. So, you know, we may well have another election before then, since we're in another minority. But um, it, so O'Toole doesn't have to face the wrath of his, his, the rank and file of his party. However, the Reform Act that's been adopted uh, as, uh, this is Michael Chong's uh, rules for governing parties within the, uh, within the House of Commons, uh, the Liberals haven't adopted it, um, the, uh, so, but the Conservatives have. And that gives caucus the ability to call, it's much more like the British system, to call a non-confidence in their leader in caucus pretty much at any point. Um, so they've put him on notice and on a pretty short leash, I think. And, uh, you know, so they may decide right now isn't the time, but they've sure not put the sharp knives too far away, uh, that they can't grab them at a moment's notice. And, uh, and as soon as, you know, either they're disappointed or they find a better, uh, you know, a better candidate, I mean, you know, their problem right now is, you know, who, who do you go to, well, uh, that's, the conservative that's caucus. The thing. Their bench is not strong nor appealing to no. uh, middle Canadians. Yeah, um, the ones who are strong are not appealing and the ones who are appealing, you know, you've never heard from. Well, Michael Chong is, is a very liberal conservative, which is why he'll never be elected leader. Um, you know, Pierre Polyeva is, is a madman. Um, Michelle Brempel Garner is the female equivalent of a madman. Um, they're, they're the party's hack and slash people. They're not really palatable. They might be palatable to, to enough people in the Conservative Party to take a leadership, but they would go down in flames uh, oh, yeah. on, in a federal election. So in one sense, if, I think if there were any stars in the waiting, if there was a new version of a Peter McKay that people thought would bring them some kind of salvation, then you would see Aaron O'Toole unceremoniously dumped. And I think he would have quit himself if he saw that there was anybody building uh, some momentum to take the leadership, but there isn't. They don't yeah. have any stars in waiting, unless you believe that Ben Mulroney quit uh, his CTV show to go into politics, which I, I don't believe. No, um, I don't think that's, uh, I don't think those are in the cards. No, uh, it's just not, not him. Um, so, but also the thing is that the, the public has had a chance to get to know Aaron O'Toole. The longer they knew him, the less they liked him, it turned out. There was a period where it grew, where they liked him, when he came from complete obscurity. Um, but there were a number of cases, uh, writings, where word came out that people just didn't like Aaron O'Toole. He's got, but now people know who he is. He's got federal prominence. He's got national prominence. He has the time now, now that people know he exists, to renovate his image. If you bring somebody new in, then you run the risk of uh, having somebody completely unprepared when the government falls as it might during any minority government. And somebody who has not acquainted themselves with Canadians, which allows, Can allows the opposition party to define this person in the mind of Canadians, unless they come with a particular identity that is recognized coast to coast. So, you know, it, it was, was it a real vote of confidence in Aaron O'Toole? I think it was a vote of, well, what else have we got? Yeah, and 
Um, they're again in a minority situation. Um, it's volatile. You know, you you don't want to be caught with your pants down in the middle of a uh, of a. I, I don't think there's going to be any snap elections anytime soon. I think uh, I don't think so. I think everyone's learned their lesson about that. Um, but uh, you know, it's still you don't want to be disorganized when you're trying to build. Uh, you know, unless you've got a real superstar leader uh, in in waiting, you don't want to be disorganized. You don't want to go through the expense. You know, vent all the anger. You know, um, expose the the nuts in your party to the uh, to the uh, to the general public as as leadership conventions often do. Um, it's it's not the kind of thing that you want to be doing right after you know a second minority government. So it's uh, I, I think the conservatives are in a holding pattern. Um, it's, uh, you know, there was a poll that talks about whether or not people, um, you know, how, why people voted after there's, you know, people are sort of picking through the bones now trying to figure it out. Um, so this is a, a Leger poll that, uh, so, you know, good news for Jagmeet Singh. Uh, there won't be any leadership convention, uh, because 82% of NDP respondents, people who said they voted NDP. Now these aren't necessarily delegates at a, at a convention. Mm. <clears throat> or, or I think the NDP actually has a, a one member, one vote system for leader, but 82% of them said they want Jagmeet Singh to remain as leader of the NDP. Um, 49% of conservatives said they want O'Toole to remain. Uh, so call it 50%. Um, but 22% uh, said they wanted him to go and another 29% said, I, I, I don't know. Um, and, you know, among, among the liberals, um, you know, they say that uh, 34% of them voted for specifically because of the leader, because of, of Justin Trudeau. 41% said they voted for the party and 25% said they voted for their local candidates just because they were great candidates. Mm -hmm. But the liberals, um, you know, again, they said 25% they voted liberal because they wanted to avoid a conservative government. Mm -hmm. And 23% said they thought Trudeau was the best leader to lead the country. So, yeah, I... There's still, in spite of this election, um, except for the Greens, which, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute, uh, the parties seem to be, rank and file anyway, happy with the leaders. Um, could it have been better? Sure, absolutely. But the amount of disgruntlement is actually pretty small in the post-election uh, you know, the, the post uh, fallout. And Canadians as a whole... Don't, are, weren't thrilled or angry with the outcome of the uh, the federal election. You know, only about eighteen percent of the people said they were angry or uncomfortable with the outcome of the last election. So, again, it's kind of a tapioca kind of thing, which is good news for the leaders of the, the three major parties. Now, let's talk about a fourth party, which I don't call major, the Green Party, and you know the leader, Annemi Paul, has resigned, though apparently she has not relinquished control of the party and still controls all communications going out from the green party which I, is know, weird it, well, it, because, because she resigned she she came out and said this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life uh they treated me badly i was walking on broken glass and then elizabeth may comes out and says uh you know i've been told to keep quiet i'm not going to keep quiet anymore um anime paul said i'm not resigning um at least not yet as like Okay, you can't even get the resignation right. You know, I want to put forward a crazy idea. A lot of people said that uh, resistance to her, was, to Miss Paul, was due to the fact that she was black and Jewish. What if it had nothing to do with that at all, or it, it, only peripherally, and it had to do with the fact that she was not a good leader? You know, well, what, if, what if this black and Jewish des designations, what if these designations are a, a distraction and a smokescreen from the fact that she just wasn't a capable leader. No, and we we did oh a while back. I mean, you know, month a couple of months ago, we, we talked about her and her leadership style, and you know, a lot of it was just supposition. And we've had a lot of that actually confirmed by Elizabeth May coming out and giving, you know, writing a long article in the Toronto Star and giving a lengthy TV interview about the internal politics of uh, of leadership within the Green Party. And what we suspected turns out to be true, which is she just doesn't get along with people. And that when she became leader of the Green Party, she, you know, the way Elizabeth May put it is, you know, she had this American executive idea of I'm, I'm the president and CEO and 
this is how we do things instead of it being collaborative and and uh, you know communal and yeah you know the buck stops with the leader and the leader has certainly mo you know more persuasive powers than you know anyone else but you know the structure of the party was very much more a consensual model of 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 internal governance and not like well you'll do it because i'm the leader and i say so and elizabeth may says that was anime paul's leadership style and she alienated a ton of people you know she belittled people who gave her a tough time and uh, you know promoted people who who supported her and it just was poison for the party and and, and they turned on her um and you know it, which is fine if you're successful. If you're successful and you can be like, you can be a jerk and be successful in politics, then all's forgiven. But, you know, she got to eight and a half percent in the, in the writing of Toronto Center. She came in fourth. I mean, she got her deposit back at least. And that's her, you know, she's had several runs at that. Um, if you lose and you're a bad leader, then, and nobody likes you, then, then you know, it, it, it's uh, maybe this job isn't for you. Well, Elizabeth, allegedly Elizabeth May had offered her to run in May's uh, in May's district yep. in her riding. So a riding that has gone green so that the Green Party leader could be an elected MP. And Annemi Paul decided, no, she was going to run again a, a campaign straight into whirling fan blades uh, in the riding that she had lost before and had no prospect of winning. And that says something to me about her judgment. It says to me she doesn't have good judgment. And I think that the Black and Jewish designations are window dressing. They're a way of deflecting criticism, saying that it's, it has to do with bigotry. But I think that anybody, uh, you know, a, a, a white male uh, who was the leader and carried on as she did, would also have faced blowback. I think that yeah. it had to do with her, the, her style of leadership and the effectiveness of her leadership. And the party was not was, was completely unprepared to go into this election. Now, part of that is because the party was warring with itself. And how can you war with yourself and then wage a campaign against others? You can't. But again, as you said, the buck stops with the leader. And if you can't unify a party, if there's rancor, constantly within the party and you can't take steps to tamp that down and actually not tamp it down but mediate it um, then you're not the right person to be in the leadership position and yeah. she ought to leave um, and let the party get control of the party apparatus again because she has tremendous greater control of the party apparatus than any leader before her so let her let go of the reins let you know this has been a terrible experience for her step away wash your hands of it and let the green party get on with their business of healing and having to, to deal with the fact that there's a lot of people out there who think that they're primarily um bigoted anti-semites um yeah, that's going to sting for a while and anti-semitism and and you know and uh, racial bigotry, you know, are, are endemic and systemic and all those other things. So I mean, I'm not saying that, that it isn't out there, but you know, my, my personal sense of the green party is, I mean, they, they present themselves as progressives and it doesn't mean that they don't have, uh, you know, people in there who, who say unpleasant things about minorities from time to time, but I don't get the sense that, you know, it, you know, if this was the people's party of Canada, um, I'd have a much better, uh, chance of believing that there is, uh, you know, racial or or uh, religious overtones to uh, to the the knives being out for for the leader, but uh, you know, if the leader was enemy Paul, but you know, the Green Party, you go like, well, aren't they sort of generally socially progressive? Uh, this isn't this this really doesn't fit the brand. I mean, whether it's the reality or not, it doesn't fit the brand at all. And like you say, I think it is window dressing. And I have to say that I, I really uh, owe an apology to, uh, to Marcy Ian, um, who, you know, she got more than 50% of the popular vote in Toronto Centre against Annemie Paul and, uh, and you know, Brian Chang, the NDP. Um, and uh, she clearly is a really good on the ground campaigner, because this is the numbers speak for themselves. You don't get numbers like that unless you are hustling door to door and running a really good ground campaign. 
And uh, so my hat's off to, to Marcy Ian. Uh, she uh, has proven, her, you know, she's proven herself to be a really good politician. I disagree. Because no. I disagree. The, there was no real ground game in this election because you couldn't canvas door to door because of COVID. People didn't want you coming door to door. That was invasive. So there was no, she wasn't out uh, shaking hands and kissing babies. Um, I think that she won based on the strength of the liberal brand and the liberal brand alone. I think they could have run a potted plant in that seat and got the same results. Um, I don't think she's a remarkable politician. I don't think she's a remarkable campaigner. She made uh, at least one gaffe during the campaign uh, when she, she contributed to headlines which said that uh, even Marcy and a liberal candidate can't support Trudeau. Uh, it was on a specific issue, but she left herself open to that headline being out there. Um, I don't give her credit. I give maybe her campaign team credit, but again, I really believe that that vote was a vote for the Liberal Party and Justin Trudeau and a vote against the Conservatives, not a vote for Marcy Ian. Well, you know, and if her numbers are a little bit lower, I might agree. Uh, but those are outstanding numbers, uh, you know, considering the lackluster national campaign that Liberals ran. Um, it, uh, you know, any, anyone who gets more than 50% of the popular vote these days is, is doing something right. And maybe it's her team, but, you know, she actually was out on the campaign trail. Uh, it's not my riding, but, uh, you know, I know she, you know, she had, uh, little things, like, you know, well, little things, an ice cream social, uh, you know, had 400 people at it. These were in-person things. I mean, they, you know, they were, they actually did have a pretty good ground game in, in that, uh, in that riding. I think the liberals generally had a pretty poor ground game in a lot of ridings. Uh, you know, the, the, the liberals were clearly not ready for their own election, uh, which makes you wonder like, well, well, why the call? I mean, you know, did Justin Trudeau wake up in the middle of the night and going like, oh, got to call an election. Um, and didn't tell anybody else because they didn't have candidates in place. They didn't have, uh, you know, their messaging was all over the place. You know, they, they just, they didn't have it ready to go. Um, so when I see a standout riding like, uh, like Marcy Ian's, um, I, I've got to, you know, I've got to attribute that mostly to the, uh, to the people on the ground, whether it's her herself or the people pushing her from behind. But, uh, you know, they, they ran a really good campaign and, and it shows. Well, we will agree to disagree on this matter. <laughs> <laughs> I see your point. I still just think that, uh, and she's got some fame from, for those who watch the social uh, on CTV, but that's not a large constituency. Um, uh, that's, that's Canadian fame. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's Canadian fame. Canadian fame is you're somebody who other people might have heard of. Yeah, and That's, they mistake you for someone else. That, exactly. <laughs> um, and, uh, I mean, we should uh, drop by the NDP. Uh, Let's see what's were, going on over there. Yeah, they, you know, they were, first of all, the tacky move of Jagmeet Singh not to congratulate the prime minister for winning just shows what under, the underpinning of his campaign, which was a very nasty undercurrent of vitriol, personal animus towards Justin Trudeau, because that's not a that's not a classy move. You know, it's not a classy move. It did not show him as a mature politician. It showed him as what I think he is, which is basically a, a rank amateur who's playing at being leader and is supported by people because it looks good. Um, he did not impress me during the campaign. He's not impressed me, period. His, his performance as leader has been, in my view, uh, to use his words, an abject failure. They spent $25 million on this campaign. They gained one seat. They're talking about what a success this campaign was and how important and valuable Jagmeet Singh is to them. When you spend $25 million and you only get one seat, I'm sorry, that doesn't speak to anybody being particularly persuasive as a leader. Yeah, and they only spent they spent ten million dollars in two thousand nineteen, uh, like you say, to win twenty four seats, and they spent twenty four twenty five million dollars to win twenty five seats, and they only increased their uh, proportion of of the uh, popular vote by by one point seven percent. But uh, you know, the uh, national uh, director of the NDP, Anne McGrath, uh, said in, in a interview that uh, you know they're spending they spent more on advertising in the the recent election. Than they spent on the entire campaign last time. 
Um, and I say, I, I, you know, I've, I've had arguments, discussions with the supporters of the NDP that, you know, this, this election was a triumph and it was money well spent. And I, I, and I just, I don't see <laughs> don't it. See it. Uh, I, I should clarify, when I say they got one seat, they got one seat more than they had before. They gained yeah. one yeah. seat more than they had before. And these guys are just smoking fairy dust. He, yeah. they, there is a cult of personality around him. They're all excited because he's popular on TikTok amongst people who aren't legal to vote or who don't vote. Um, you know, big deal. He's popular on social media. It did not translate into any real electoral gains for the NDP. They spent a fortune. They had some vague notion that, that there was an opportunity for them this time. And maybe there was, but they didn't capitalize on it. Uh, Singh didn't convince people to move to the NDP away from the liberals, despite there was some disenchantment with the liberals. He is not a great leader. He is a show pony. And uh, he's not, he, I find him unserious. I find him, he doesn't think before he speaks. And I think the NDP deserves better leadership than somebody who puts together dances on a video service primarily frequented by teenagers. Or, or sits in the shower the, the, the day before. Did, I, did you see that TikTok? There's one no. for him. And, and uh, I had to ask my son, and apparently it's a call out to some music video or something. Um, that you know the reference was lost to me because I'm 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 old, uh, but uh, you know, uh, uh, and I'll post it. I'll post it with the podcast. Uh, he is sitting in a shower, fully clothed, with a, a little sign up that says, um, you know, here, here's here's how to vote. Here's how to register to vote. And the shower is on and it's pouring down on him. And there's sad music, and you're just going, what the hell is this? Um, it you know. It, this is, you know, they talk about uh, Trudeau having done things in his past that are not prime ministerial. I'm going like sitting in a shower with a sad music going, holding up a little sign, not saying a word is probably not the image I want for a prime minister either. Listen, but I think I think he'd make a fantastic VJ. <laughs> I think he'd, he's missed his calling by a number of years. He would have been a fantastic much music VJ. Um <laughs> DJ Jazzy Singh. As, as an NDP leader, he makes an excellent VJ. And the, you know, <laughs> that's he is where really popular with this party. He is really popular with this yeah. party. And, and like I said, I gave, I gave you the numbers of the people who, you know, over 80% of NDP um, voters have said, uh, yeah, we, I, I like him as a leader. And they want to see him stay on for the next election. He and may be likable personally, but if they were to look at it, he's not been an effective leader. Well, you, you know, the post-election polls, you know, I think should reflect and they don't clearly, uh, you know, disappointment with the way the campaign was run. You know, a lot of a lot of people inside the NDP, um, you know, feel it was a good campaign. Uh, you know, did they get their money's worth? Well, you know, on a dollars, a dollars per seat basis. No, they didn't. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they felt it was like you know, youthful and energized and full of ideas and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I talked to a couple of friends of mine and I said, well, no, is Singh gone? I said, no, he's really popular in the party. People, people love him. Um, you know, they'll be detractors, but, you know, the rank and file and the other members really still like him. So, you know, I thought we'd see a lot of seat changes among the leaders uh, following the election. But, uh, you know, it looks like the only one who's going anywhere at the moment is, is maybe is Annamie Paul if she if she changes her mind again and decides to resign again. Well, I'm glad the NDP felt that it was youthful and energetic. What they need to decide is, are they having a party or are they a political party? Because all the things that, that they're happy about sounds like something that, you know, you get together at uh, a rally or at a party in the backyard and it's full of energy. And who cares if it doesn't translate into electoral gains? Who cares how good you feel about it? It's, you know, this is part of their thinking, which is idealistic and not connected to reality. He's not been an effective leader. He did not uh, capitalize on disenchantment with, uh, with the liberals. And he could have, because there was disenchantment with the liberals. Even I wasn't excited about voting for the liberals, even though I voted liberal. I wasn't excited this time to vote liberal. I was a little fed up, a little angry. Um, but that didn't blind me to the fact that the other options were far worse 
and that I did like a lot of what the government did, um, but I thought their campaign was terribly sloppy. Um, and I thought that having the, the election at all was uh, a naked power grab that was foolish and unnecessary. So if even me, who's a diehard liberal, was disenchanted with the Liberal Party, there were others who weren't as diehard as me who could have gone over to the NDP, but he didn't Singh didn't close the sale. And th for them to be happy with, with spending $24, $25 million and gaining only one seat, uh, you know, good for you to have your own set of goals and, and determination of success, but I think it's foolishness. It's a moral, moral victory, which, you know, the, oh, those the are great. kind of victories they have. Yeah, yeah. those, 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 uh, those don't pay the bills. <laughs> no, and it'll be interesting to see what the what the tenor of the uh, the next parliament is, because, you know, it, it was an incredibly rancorous campaign. Uh, you know, the NDP, you know, uncharacteristic, uncharacteristically jumped on the, the 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 conservative style electioneering bandwagon, which was has been ported, well, imported, you know, from the United States, uh, their, their system of politics, but, but, you know, the conservatives hired uh, the, the, the United Kingdom pro-Brexit spinmeisters, Topham Gurren, um, who are specialists in manufacturing voter anger and fear, and, you know, and they, they did, you know, for what they were doing, they did a good job at that um, in the conservative brand, and I think the NDP felt like they were being left behind, so, you know, they came out with, you know, it's natural to attack the government of the day, because, you know, that's your target, but, uh, you know, they, they were basically running the same sorts of campaign um, memes and, and angry, uh, angry videos as, as the conservatives were. Um, and again, the problem is that's off brand for the NDP because, you know, they're the serious, thoughtful adults in the room is the way they like to portray themselves that, uh, you know, they, they, they're, uh, you know, they, they're not bearded college professors anymore right. or, you know, radical students, but, you know, they, they want to present themselves as, as, as thoughtful ideologues um, and, you know, and, and the arbiters of truth. Um, but, you know, to, to get into that sort of American style mudslinging campaign, again, really was off brand. I think was really off putting for a lot of traditional NDP voters who saw that Americanization of, of the way they did politics as, as, as not being very attractive. Well, let's move on to uh, the uh, past and present Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, who, you know, I'm really tired of the unforced errors and sloppiness of the, the Trudeau uh, PMO. This business about him going to Tofino for a family vacation on the first Truth and Re Reconciliation Day, who thought that was a good idea? Why did nobody speak up and say, don't do this? Would he have done that on Remembrance Day? You know, this, this, does nobody think in that office? They, they did not need to do this. This was an unforced error. It was a rookie mistake, which is not excusable anymore. It's his third term in, in government, as, as the government. When are they going to get their heads out of their ass, is what I wonder, because I'm, I'm fed up with it at this point in time. I really believe that this was Trudeau's last campaign. I believe that uh, he will leave within uh, nine to, to 16 months. Um, to allow time for a new leader to come in and get settled. Um, I think he's done. Um, and that, I'm glad for that because I'm, I'm tired of the rank amateur behavior that uh, comes out from time to time with, uh, with the Trudeau government. This whole business about going to Tofino was just so ill-advised. It should have been obvious. The fact that it wasn't concerns me. Yeah, and and right out of the gate too. I mean, I mean, the uh, you know we've certainly had Indigenous affairs front and center for well, more than a year. I mean, on the front pages. I mean, it's it's always been there. Yeah. But you know, with the um, you know residential schools and the uh, you know the discovery of unmarked graves, and you know it's been in the paper. It's been in the paper. It's been in the paper. It's been in the top of the consciousness. And Trudeau created this 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 day of remembrance as well. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, it's, it was created by his government. And I, you know, I think genuinely indigenous affairs are, you know, occupy an awful lot of his, his thought. And I don't think there's a prime minister, uh, aside from maybe Paul Martin, 
I know John Cretchen was uh, Minister of Indigenous Affairs too, but uh, I, I don't think uh, you know his his term as as either prime minister as that was particularly marked with great advances in uh, in federal indigenous relations. Paul Martin, much harder worker, but you know he had his hands tied with with minority situations and shortness. Um, I think Justin Trudeau probably, arguably, has done made create uh, more progress on on that file than any other prime minister. And that, which makes it all the stranger that, like you say, he would drop the ball on this, um, you know, and we all do stuff. Okay, he's tired from the election campaign. Uh, you know, I've seen that, you know, it's uh, you know, a family vacation, a time of reflection because, you know, it's, it's close to the anniversary of the death of his brother or, and his father. Um, all that aside, we all do stuff that we don't feel like doing. Well, not go, on, should go on October 1st, not September 30th. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, it's and you know, to, to to bungle the comms about it, to not you know first you know he's out there. You don't really tell anyone. You say, look, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to take some family time. However, on that day, I will be doing this, 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 and this. I'll be on the phone. I will be video conferencing. I will be giving a giving a talk or whatever. Showing um, leadership. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, the, the people who are screaming the, the most about Justin Trudeau are the ones who claim that he is he is uh, simply performative, that, you know, he, he, he has, you know, crocodile tears and he dresses up in funny outfits and, uh, you know, he, he, he likes to perform. And they're the ones who are complaining the loudest that he, he didn't perform on that day. However, you know, I think there is in that office. Uh, you know, it behooves the prime minister to show up for this stuff. And it's, you know, it, 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 you know, not only if you're not going to show up for it, you better have a damn good reason and a good fallback and your comms better be really tight. And once again, they fumbled for like three days. And, you know, it's a, it's a, a media that is hungry for this kind of uh, stumble as well, because I think you know, a lot of them are still pretty pissed that he won the election in spite of their best efforts. And uh, so, you know, they're looking for this kind of stuff. So he wore it for four or five days. And here we are, you know, we're still talking about it now. There'll be, you know, different news next week, but it's... It, it, like you say, it was an unforced error that, you know, even if you're going to do it, you could have done it a lot better, but you shouldn't have done it in the first place. Yeah. I, uh, and the thing is, I think he, you know, arguably has done more than any other prime minister to affect uh, real reconciliation and to improve the lot of Indigenous Canadians. And then he goes and does something like this. And all, all of that good is swept away. Because um, this is something that sticks in people's minds. They can understand a holiday on a solemn day, like a vacation on a solemn day. They can understand that. And that makes it seem like he is insincere. It makes it, it, it colors people's view of uh, his accomplishments for truth and reconciliation. It's just such a foolish mistake. And I'm just tired of the foolish mistakes. I'm tired of the, the you know, uh, people voting on, on charities who have, you know, who, who could be seen optically as having a conflict. Like they don't pay attention to optics often enough. Their comm shop is terrible. Um, I think that he's just very loyal and he doesn't fire people. And I think he needs to start firing some people. He should have fired people with the uh, JWR thing when people in his office got overzealous in contacting her without him even knowing. And he wore all that. I would have waited a little bit, and then I would have cleaned house. I don't want yeah. those people there. But there, it, we heard nothing about those people being cleaned out. He he sticks. He, he's loyalty is, is a is a noble thing, uh, in the right place. But yeah. he's the leader of the country. If he's doing things, or if he's being advised, or if he's getting the kind of help which is putting him in trouble and endangering his agenda. He owes it to the people who voted for him and to people who didn't to get rid of those people and start doing a better job with their comms and with their planning. Yeah. And, you know, and the, uh, you know, like I said before, the media has, is responsible for, for, you know, for torquing this, uh, you know, way above. I mean, yes, it, you know, it was a poor choice. And, uh, but, uh, you know, and there were some Indigenous leaders who said, look, this, this day isn't about Trudeau. 
this is not about the federal government. I mean, you know, there's a, there was a joke going around saying, you know, how do we celebrate truth and reconciliation? We give all, you know, the federal government, which is responsible for oppressing the, uh, the first nations of the day off. Um, it's uh, there, there's a certain amount of in Trudeau's mind, the way I heard it expressed is like, you know, this day isn't about me, but the problem is when you're the prime minister, the day is about you, no matter if you live and breathe reconciliation. Uh, and it's, you know, one of the top things on your to-do list every single day as prime minister, you still have to go through the motions and, you know, Justin's father, Pierre, was like this too. There were lots of times when he just said, no, nah, screw it. I don't feel like doing something and I'm not going to do it. I you know whether it's, uh, you know, meeting a dignitary or, uh, um, you know, or, or, or showing up and, uh, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies. You know, you say, I got to do it. I don't feel like it. I'm going skiing or out with a model instead. So there's a certain amount of Pierre Trudeau peeking through there as well, which was not, you know, in retrospect, you know, you either loved him or hated him based on his ability to thumb his nose at convention uh, and even the role of the prime minister. But, uh, you know, in in this day and age with social media and, uh, and a fairly predatory uh, press, it's less charming. Let's put it that way. Well, and, and his brand is substantially different than his father's brand was. Yeah. He, he we talked He's earlier the- about being off brand. He he has sold us a brand of what Justin Trudeau is and then he violates it and he has no one to blame but himself. And that's why I'll be glad to see some new leadership come to the uh, liberal party. Yeah. And like you say, that brand is, you know, emotional and caring and, uh, you know, tear in the eye and taking a knee. And like you say, when you violate that brand on, on something that's easy not to, I mean, how hard is it if you're the prime ministers to, you know, tell the family, enjoy the beach, I'm jumping on a plane and I'm going to an event. I mean, you know, God knows there's enough indigenous communities in, in British Columbia who uh, you know, would probably uh, make a, a, a seat at the table for you. Um, and you've done your thing. And, you know, like I say we've all we've all gone to cousins weddings that we didn't feel like, even if you're not feeling like it, you know, part of the job of the prime minister you know, it doesn't matter if you're tired and beaten up and, uh, you know, you've lost some friends in the election and all the rest. Yes, still put on the smile. You go out and do it because that's part of the job. And speaking of just as we close, speaking of somebody who lost their job, Mariam Monsef. And yes, I felt bad about that, actually, because I, 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 I thought she was pretty good, actually. I thought she made so many stupid mistakes, um, including uh, referring to the Taliban as brothers. Um, I understand that there's a cultural uh, component to that, but that, when you have to start explaining that, you've yeah. lost. Well, you have to understand that the culture that's receiving that message isn't just your 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 Muslim brothers. I mean, yeah. it's like union members talking to each other as brother and sister, and you know, all Muslims you know refer to each other as brothers and sisters in the same kind of way. Uh, but uh, again, you know, your audience isn't just the Taliban, who she's trying to talk to and, and talk some sense into it, you know, the message is also going to be uh, heard in Canada, where they go like, what, you're calling the Taliban brothers? Um, that's, that, yeah, it's just, know, just it's tone deaf again. It's it, she's, that's not her first gaffe or her first mistake. And when I saw she was defeated, I was not sad. Um, I think that uh, they can do better in cabinet than Mariam Monsef. Um, and uh, I'm sure that they will. There's some, yeah. some good people have been elected um, and we will continue to monitor it. Yeah, absolutely. But at least we won't have to worry about uh, bringing the two Michaels home anymore either. So there's been so much going on there, you know, in the last, uh, in the last two weeks that we missed, but uh, you know, it's, it's great that they're back and uh, who knows what, uh, what are, I don't think I'll be on a plane going to China anytime soon. I don't think I'm a high value target, but uh, I think I'll, uh, I'll get my Chinese food by takeout uh, just on the Danforth. <laughs> okay. Probably wise. Um, so thank you for listening, everybody. Stephen Lawton's can be found on Twitter. Uh, he's at Stephen Lawton's, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-L-A-U-T-E-N-S. Um, check out his Twitter feed. It is uh, intelligent and it is uh, at times insouciant. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> I, <like> that. <laughs> I would advise you to check it out. It's very, uh, uh, high level, um, clever. 
So check it out. It's worth it's definitely worth it. Uh, I'm Stephen Kersner. Please check out my project, newmusicnation.ca, where we uh, revive the spirit of classic much music and show music videos from unsigned and uh, independent artists from across Canada. And there's some great music there that we would that people would never otherwise be exposed to. So I can I can second that. It's a you know, and this is not a paid announcement at all, but uh, it is a uh, it's great. I really enjoy it. And there's some great bands you you otherwise would never have heard of. So thank you for in. that. Thank you. And uh, it's newmusicnation.ca. So check that out. And uh, that's it, Stephen. Thank you as always. My pleasure. Hopefully we'll be back next week, and who knows what will uh, be in store for us. Yeah, may you live in interesting times, right? The Chinese curse. <laughs> now yes. I understand it. Okay, uh, he is Stephen Lawtons. I am Stephen Kersner, and this has been Stephen and Stephen.